it can be sort of framed as a almost a, a thing that you're responsible for yourself in your own being because it is a group phenomenon it only exists as part of a group it kind of doesn't make sense to to, to kind of frame it as an individual thing a kind of individual resilience or or something that you can create yourself through um through effort or meditation or something meditation is a great thing to do but you're not going to feel more psychologically safe in a group just because you've spent some time meditating i can, I can recommend meditation but it's not going to achieve yeah. that particular yeah. goal okay so it's no. a it's a dynamic that sits between people yeah um, but you'd probably feel it on an individual level as to whether yeah. it's there or not yeah yeah Hello there and a very warm welcome or welcome back to the podcast. My name is Steve Ingham. I'm an applied scientist and leader from the world of high performance sport. And on the podcast, I explore all aspects of human performance, whether that is getting stronger, fitter, mentally more prepared, eating better, playing better, leading and coaching in different ways, but also how we perform in work individually and as teams. And the way I do that is by speaking with great scientists, practitioners, researchers, coaches, athletes, and entrepreneurs. I'm also keen to talk to people from outside of sports, people who are just interested in how we perform as humans. If you enjoy the podcast, then please do share it with friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe. And if you want to support and champion us, then please do leave a review on iTunes. This week's guest is Tom Geraghty. Now, Tom runs a business that supports and coaches people and teams in the area of psychological safety. And he's created a reputation in this niche through his work, his online contributions, and a very impactful newsletter that he sends out each week. Tom hasn't come at this topic through what you might think is the traditional and formal psychological route. So he's seen leaders misuse their position, create caustic environments, and make people feel not only rubbish, but inhibited too. And then Tom had the good sense and the will to learn why, how, what and when these environments arise and how he can support people to make things better, to feel safer so that you can unlock their potential and their performance. I really enjoyed this conversation with Tom. His deep thinking really added value and I hope you enjoy it too. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. How are you? I'm fab, and yes, it's uh, it's great to be here. I'm really, really chuffed to be here. It's superb. Thank you so much. And um, you know, I I do like to think about trying to extend the network of people that I'm connected to, rather than sort of Steve's mates or, or can you come on the podcast or, and I think just taking an opportunity to reach out to someone who I who I've just got this sort of gut sense of. It'd be interesting to chat to you, You're creating some great content on Twitter and uh, your newsletter's superb and, and getting some, some great traction. And, um, and so I thought, I'll just, I'll just throw, throw out a contact and see, and you're good enough to, to, to respond with it. Yeah, so thank you so much for that random contact uh, <laughs> agreement. That's cool. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and, and I'm really, really pleased to hear that, uh, that you enjoyed the, the, the newsletter too. Yeah, it's, uh, that, was, um, that started as very much kind of a, I wonder. I wonder what this will be like if I if I start a newsletter, and it's um, turned out all right. 
yeah. And, and I say, I say, try to extend my network. Within one email, we'd realised that we've got a common connection in Christburg when you live up, live just up the road. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a small world. Yeah, definitely. Well, I've I've tried I've tried it. And so your connection with Chris is, does that mean you've got a sporting background too? Uh, so I, only in a very sort of obvious kind of way, but uh, so my, my connection with Chris is that we went to uni together and we were both in the, in the cycling club, which is, which is more really like a mountain biking club. Um, and so, and so Chris was, uh, Chris was in the year above me at uni and he did, he did sports science. I actually did, um, biological sciences at uni, but yeah, and he was the president of the cycling club, uh, in the, in the year before I became the president of the cycling club. So we've done a few races together and um, and some yeah some some fun times together at uni and I was I was there I was there when he broke his collarbone as well uh, on some on some ill-advised mountain bike jumps in Nottingham <laughs> up at Sherwood uh, in in fact right in the centre of town at the at oh, the no. uh, <laughs> at the at the what's it called the Goose Fair site in in Nottingham. There was a little BMX track there, and we we're all having. We were all having a great time until disaster struck, <laughs> and it struck Chris hard. <laughs> Fantastic. So you're there to pick up the pieces. Yeah. Oh, interesting, interesting. And so maybe that's an interesting jumping off point around, so you've studied bio biological sciences. So you've sort of, have you, have you gone from the, the body to the head or you've just, you've <laughs> just gone up the neck? Um, it'd be interesting to sort of hear your your career and route to to this idea of working and supporting people around psychological safety yeah i appreciate yeah so that's that's a really good question actually and so i've had i've had a maybe a convoluted career so my 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 career after uni kicked off in so i, I started off in uh sort of biological science research sort of researching um different well, weeds and fertilizers of crops and stuff um, and then moved into field trials. So I, I, I kind of worked on farms, basically sort of research farms for quite a while, um, which was great. And I and I actually learned a lot there. It was a great time, but also physically really hard work. Ended up moving into sort of tech project management when I got involved into a, in a project that was sort of monitoring crops remotely using tech, using well actually using try, trying to use SMS, trying to use te text messages. Um, but it was far, it was way before its time. It was effectively the Internet of Things back in sort of 20, uh, 2002, 2003. So far before its time. That kicked off a career in tech. Uh, and I sort of moved up through ranks or whatever you call it and um, into management roles. Ended up managing infrastructure teams, engineering teams, development teams. Um, and and so my my entry into the sort of world of psychological safety, although I didn't know it at the time, was when I had a really, so maybe sort of thirteen or so years ago, I had a really shouty, screamy, stereotypical, bad boss. You know, the boss that. So he 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 it was a big open pan office, and he had a you know, fancy glass cubicle on the side, you know, sort of status status symbol office. And every now and then he'd storm out of his office and, and rip someone apart, absolutely tear someone apart for some minor mistake or infraction or, or, or yeah, for something going wrong. And, um, and that, so that was a horrible place to be. Like, like that sounds like a horrible place to work. Um, and we all, we all can 
what I realized at the time when I was there was that, that the effect that was having on the team and on the whole business was a very countifying, slowing down, su- suppressive effect on, on everything from innovation. So no one wanted to try any new things in case it went wrong or failed. Um, no one even wanted to sort of, to, even to fix anything even to, to, you know, to patch something or update something because the, the risk of it going wrong, um, actually, so the, the fear of getting shouted at and screamed at was greater than the fear of, of the thing going wrong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so, so that meant that people, so no one ever tried anything. So everything got really out of date. Everything got left behind. Tech got left behind. Other competitors were leaving us in the dust because we were, effectively moving backwards compared to them and so i realized that if that was the bad way of doing things that's the that's the way to failure organizational failure team failure anti-pattern to performance the good way the right way if there is a right way must be the opposite of that or to some degree the opposite of that so from then on the sort of years after that i would often think to myself what What's the opposite of what that guy would do? Interesting. I'll do it that way. Um, oh, was and that, so can I just ask you then, yeah. was that, was that, I'm just con- conscious of 2002, the environment there oh. in tech, that's prob- you're probably going to feel falling behind really quickly during that period where there's an acceleration of, yeah. of those results. Was, was that the principal driver or were you sat there just thinking, I don't like this. Uh, I'm I'm nervous going into work. Uh, you know, th- this doesn't feel as though I'm inspired to go the extra mile. And in fact, when I get in the car, I don't care. I actively want to shut off rather than yeah. oh, I've got this idea about work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the the fundamental driver there, like you say, is is essentially that I didn't I didn't like the atmosphere. I didn't want to be there. I didn't enjoy work. I didn't. It, I didn't gain any fulfillment from it, and I didn't. You know, you, you know, you get that Sunday night dread, and and those sort of symptoms, and and so I, I knew, I knew on a very human level that that the right thing to do would be to create a create the opposite of that, which was a safe environment, an environment where it's safe to try things, and uh, suggest ideas, and 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 a safe to fail, a safe to fail environment. So I knew that was the human thing to do i knew that was the sort of environment i wanted to work in what kind of worked in my favor was that evidently that's also the path to success it's it feels good it's nice for us to enjoy our jobs and and enjoy what we do but it also leads to performance and success so it's you know if someone's asking me for a business case for, for for a safe environment then there it is of course at the time i didn't know the word psychological safety I don't think many people did actually, um, and uh, and it was only maybe six or so years ago that I came across the term psychological safety, and that was a proper proper light bulb moment. Um, you, you, you don't have many of them in your in your career and in your life when it's really like, oh, this is it, and that was I, I realized like as soon as I came across it, as soon as I as soon as I came across this definition, it was actually one of Amy Edmondson's TED talks as sort of a 10 minute tech ted talk and i thought this is it this is what i've been trying to do and now finally i understand that there's a word for it there's a term for it i can i can hang my hat on on this particular hook 
and since then I've you know I've I've seen it's um through through that through that door of opening I've been, I've seen it's not just good for it's not just effective for sort of tech teams um engineering teams and and those you know those sorts of teams it's 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 a, it's across every industry it's across aerospace aviation healthcare and and sports and you know, sport yeah and it's yeah. The, you know it's how we sort of surfaced this as a as a concept when we when we debrief the teams post Beijing, particularly an intensive debrief before we go towards the big one at 2012. And, and it was a case of, well, how do you feel? And people said, I feel fearful. Mm-hmm. I feel fearful and I don't, want to, I don't want to go the extra mile. And then we start unpacking that. And that's in teams that, that are underperforming, the teams that are overperforming. I'm encouraged to take risks. Okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and so then psychologists said, oh, that's psychological safety. Right. How do we brew that in teams? Um, yeah. So um, let's do a bit of hygiene here because uh, you mentioned Amy Edmondson. And, um, and I'm also really conscious that when I'm talking to people about team development, team dynamics, this, the idea of psychological safety comes up. It's it sort of it's one of those terms that so, seems to have entered into the, the corporate consciousness but it's one of the ter- terms that people are using to mop up everything. And it's a bit like resilience, where it's sort of interpreted as, as grit and yeah. toughness in the face of pressure, though the definition is about specifically recovering quickly from a setback so that teams and leaders need to sustain performance in that way. So can you just, can you just give us a crisp view and definition of what it is? And I'll ask you maybe afterwards what... what it isn't as well, yeah, so, it's, yeah. so that people are clear and this can potentially be helpful for them. Yeah, and I really appreciate that you've raised this because, like, just like you say, we are seeing, and th- and this this happens. Um, uh, in, in fact, I think there's a term for this as well, and I think the term is semantic diffusion, where a term enters the sort of common language, and and because people hear the term without hearing the the definition or fully understanding it, then the term itself gets diluted or, or becomes the meaning d- diverges into something else. Um, and yeah, and psychological safety is, is, a, is an example of that. So the canonical definition that we, that most of us sort of in the field would agree with is, is something around the lines of um, safe to the, the the knowledge or the feeling that you will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, or mistakes, and that is to say that it's a it's it's how you feel, how someone feels about the rest of the group and how they respond to you. So it's kind of like the echo of trust. Trust is a com- is a component of psychological safety. Like I can trust that this person will behave in this way. But psychological safety is is that is that group belief that it is safe in this environment for everyone to raise these concerns, raise these mistakes without interpersonal con- uh, negative interpersonal consequences. Um, I one of the things, in fact, so this is a sporting kind of a sporting analogy, I guess. So if you're into climbing. If you so if if you're if you're climbing and you've got someone belaying you with a rope, so so they're holding you with with that rope and you're attached to the rope and you're attached to to um, a safety point on the rock, and um, 
you you could trust that your binaya will hold you if you fall. So that's like you're trusting that they've got your life in their hands. So that's a high degree of trust. However, you might not feel psychologically safe to sort of shout down to them and say, uh, I'm not confident in jumping in, you know, going for that hold. I'm or, or or I need to take a break. I need to rest my arms a bit. So can you can you like hold me for a moment? Um, th- that's a whole like there's a it's another layer from there. Um, I, so that's yeah. Yeah, that's a nice. That's a nice example in that. In that, it's an agreed aspect of of uh, trust. Because because you could say, in perhaps quite simple environments where actually we don't we don't necessarily need complex decision making dynamics. We just need you to do this simple job. Off you go. Um, yeah, can I take a risk with this? Mm. with this lathe that's probably not the best so there's a there's an agreed level of trust and an aspect so that sort of grounds it into that aspect of norms doesn't it in, in that mm. in that way of of we're all in this together this is how it works around here this is something that we we sign up to and subscribe to um and that that's that to me that feels like often an active process you've got to keep nurturing it I think what one of my observations over time is that that you can see it arise spontaneously where where the the sort of social interactions and the discussions allow and give permission to that arise or mm. you work at it you yeah. you work at it and you give time in in your team's efforts to to nurture it and and discuss how are we getting on how are we working as much as what are we doing yeah yeah, exactly. And one of the most powerful ways to nurture psychological safety is is to talk about psychological safety and is to make it a safe thing to talk about in the team. And um, and this is why in in many environments such as aviation, such as healthcare, which interestingly are the most some of the most safety critical environments, um, the, the environments where where failure has really high consequences. What's interesting is that in those domains, um, they've been doing this for years. They've been they've they've made this explicit for a long time. They've they've recognised very strongly and early that um, that we need to make it interpersonally safe to take well to 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 take safe to fail risks, but also to admit mistakes, highlight concerns, um, come up with ideas. Because if we suppress those, then the really big the really big disasters, the really big failures, you won't see coming. Mm. So, so we need to create those those cultures, and we need to explicitly do it. And in in healthcare, there's a there's a a, a, a thing called just culture, uh, which is or, or just from Sydney Decker's ideas, which is essentially the the sort of term for a organisation wide psychological safety that that is safe to raise concerns. Um, and in aviation, there's you know, we talk about things like cockpit culture. So these, these, it's just giving it a name is a really powerful way to start building it. I think that's the that's the lesson there. I think, yeah, yeah, uh, certainly that um, that type of research in disaster debriefs and so on. It's it's fascinating in the sense that mm. it's just an equity between emotional interpersonal dynamics 
sorry, we're just going to elevate those to the same level as a nut and a bolt and a fuel check and an engine mm -hmm. check. You know, the mechanics and, and the technical side of it, um, we respect because it holds the plane together. But if we don't do these things, it also means that lives are lost. And so there's yeah. such, a, such a simple filter that that means it just gets treated in the same way. Perhaps in some businesses, some sporting environments where actually it doesn't get exposed because someone just hasn't jumped a bit further or we perhaps are not feeling the pinch of the profit uh, not being quite as high. It doesn't necessarily get as exposed in that way. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting that in some of the um, lowest lowest um, material consequence domains, um, and, I, and, I, and I include a lot of tech domains in there because whilst it might have financial impact on a business if your app goes down for, for five minutes, you know, chances are, unless it's a very safety critical app, chances are no one's going to die as a result of that. No one's going to, um, you know, lives aren't going to be lost. Um, livelihoods aren't going to be lost. It's a it's a bad thing. We don't want it to happen, but it's not a massive deal really in the grand, grand scheme of things. However, it, it, and 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 I kind of, in, and to not sort of, I don't want to denigrate sort of massive sporting achievements, but like if you don't win a gold medal, people aren't going to die. Like people, you know, you're not putting lives oh, on no, the line. You go for it. You fair, that's yeah. fair enough. If the people yeah, yeah. go in, you just but, got some miserable people the next day. That's fine. That's absolutely <laughs> fine. But, but no one, no one actually gets hurt by the goal not going in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what, and this is where I think it's it's interesting where where they where these domains, um, the less safety critical domains are some of the some of the last. To, to pick up this idea of psychological safety. And I wonder if it's because actually the consequences of a lack of psychological safety aren't as so, um, so, um, so, so viscerally felt in some of these less sort of safety critical domains. Whereas in like nuclear power, for example, if someone sees a red light flashing, but thinks, oh, I'm, I, won't, I won't speak up about that because it's probably nothing. You know that's that's the stuff where we really want people to be able to say, uh, actually, I'm I am going to speak up about that, even if it makes me look stupid. Yeah. Okay, that's that's interesting because it's sort of in some ways I never really thought of this before, but it's it's emerging in my head now, so I'll just fly with it. But the that sense of not really feeling the pressure, so we're not going to explore it, and maybe we can get into pressure and how that might affect mm. how teams dynamic respond but I, I remember the conversation i had with dan cable um around this he, you know, he had this life threatening disease he had cancer and then suddenly you have this epiphany this road to damascus moment i'm going to live differently and and it's easy perhaps when you're faced not easy it's 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 so in your face if you don't change the way you live you know you might not live on you know that, that mm. sort of fatal um consequence of actually staring death um in the face Whereas, oh, I just have a couple more biscuits. Oh, I just have a couple more. Um, yeah. I, I won't do the, the exercise or I won't look after myself as well in that, in that sense of not feeling the pressures of that. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's, um, so Amy Edmondson has done some work around this as well. And, and, and there's a great infographic that I saw recently, which, which is, so essentially Amy Edmondson is talking about the, um, so if you imagine a scenario where, and it's a bit like the scenario you just gave, where, um, suggesting a new idea or trying trying a new um, a new technique um, that so the the 
the interpersonal consequences of, say, suggest, you know, having an idea and putting it on the table for everyone to critique, the interpersonal consequences of that are relatively severe, but, well, they're, but they're more immediate. They're right now. You, you feel the consequences right now. The moment you put that idea on the table or the moment you admit your mistake, you feel those consequences right now. The return on that, the, the, the benefit of that, of admitting a mistake or, or putting an idea on the table is quite far away in the future and somewhat ambiguous. Um, so if like the internal cost benefit that we do in our heads of thinking, oh, well, I could admit that I'm struggling um, or, you know, if you're training, oh, I could, I could admit that I, I've got a bit of a tweak ankle or something, but actually if I do that right now, right now, people might think less of me, but the, um, the benefit of that, if you do it, is that you can get some proper support and proper training. You can work around it. You might even be able to improve and, it, and, and the actual outcome is even better, but, but that that's long-term that's vague and, 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 and ambiguous. And in the future, so that internal cost benefit, you know, cost now is more important or has more consequence than a benefit much later on. Effectively, it's the sort of cost benefit we're doing in our head when we're talking about mm. these sorts of things. So, it's, that's interesting from the point of view of status within the group, um, because if you if you take a risk without the conditions, without the permission, then you're potentially setting yourself up for immediate humiliation. You know, yeah. that sort of, yeah. come on, anyone got any questions or there's no stupid questions? Oh, that's a stupid question. That type yeah. of that type of response. And I'm, I'm just reflecting back of one of these words that stayed in my mind that you've mentioned of calcifying, which is a beautiful description of actually, sod it, I'm not going to do any work. I'm not going to do it. You know, that learned helplessness of, mm. well, we're going to be like that, are we? So fine, I'm going to cross my arms. I'll come in, I'll collect my paycheck, but that's it. And so I'm curious to know about how that reflects our willingness to take a risk to promote our status in the group, but also to avoid our demotion within the group. Yeah, yeah. And this is, yeah, so that, and that's kind of the, it's almost part of the, it's almost the crux of it really, because psychological safety, when when people are in in a psychologically unsafe environment, you're you're really talking about like people's strategies interpersonal strategies will be to maintain the status quo maintain their position in the group um, and avoid loss rather than maximize gain um, because in order to maximize gain we have to take risks we have to we have to come up with I- our, our own ideas we have to say i'm going to try this even if even though i have a feeling it might not work but but it might work it's worth a punch it's worth a bet um and and so we need to by creating psychological safety we're sort of flipping the the stance from that minimization of loss to the maximization of gain or, or you know results or outcomes whatever we're trying to achieve and that's you know and that's what i saw back in my back in the company i was at 15 or whatever years ago this this baselining that's we'll do the bare minimum, we'll do the bare minimum to stay safe in our jobs, but no more because that's risky. Okay, and so um, can we do the flip of of what it isn't? I mean, Uh, it's pretty obvious, it's not health and safety, so uh, which is one of the terms I've heard it, psychological safety within within health and safety. 
um, I suppose one of the most common that I sort of pushbacks when I talk about this area or the conditions in teams is, oh, well, we don't want to make things comfortable. Um, mm. So we don't want to make that, you know, don't, we, need, we need a little bit of challenge. And I'll come up, maybe get into that. But any other aspects that, that seem to sort of get mopped up into psychological safety that probably warrant their own separate consideration or at least, um, you know, thinking about it in a different way? Yeah, yeah. So this, yeah, I appreciate this question as well because yeah. So the one of the one of the main things, one of the main objections that I see to it is just like that is about sort of well, we don't want to make it too comfortable, um, which comes from a from a belief from a sensation that psychological safety is uh, sort of a, a wellness thing, just sort of a health and mental well being um, kind of initiative or a sort of um, that that which. And like it does contribute to health and mental well-being, absolutely. But but it's um, but it's not just that. It is a it is it is about raising performance standards as well. And in fact, so that's that's the next thing. It's not about lowering standards. It's not about accepting a lower standard of work or effort or or striving or or um, it's in fact it's about raising the the standard but accepting that in trying to reach that standard we may fail and stutter we may have to take repeated attempts to get there um it's also not an individual thing and this is something that i see see sometimes that, that people think sort of or, or it can be sort of framed as a almost a, a thing that you're responsible for yourself in your own being but it's th th like because it is a group phenomenon, it only exists as part of a group. It kind of doesn't make sense to, to, to kind of frame it as an individual thing, a kind of individual resilience, or or something that you can create yourself through um, through effort or meditation or something. Those things are like that. Meditation is a great thing to do, but you're not going to feel more psychologically safe in a group just because you've spent some time meditating. I can, I can recommend meditation, but it's not going to achieve yeah. that particular yeah. goal. Okay, so it's no. a it's a dynamic that sits between people. Yeah. Um, but you'd probably feel it on an individual level as to whether yeah. it's there or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the um, one of the things I like, and this is so this is I guess one of my personal stances on it, it, it that uh, so I believe that a group or a team is only as psychologically safe as the least safe person in the group because i fundamentally feel that psychological safety is because it is a group phenomenon it should be considered as a it should be sort of measured if you like as the group um and and it's no good having say six members of a group feeling psychologically safe whilst two members are really not um and and there and here we're we're starting to talk about inclusion, um, and we need to examine why those two members might not feel psychologically safe. Maybe they're just new to the group, and they so they are not yet familiar with the group norms and behaviours and sort of practices they're in. They haven't been in the group long enough to to understand that it is a psychologically safe place. Maybe actually, it's uh you know the dynamics of the group are a bit messed up, and maybe you know maybe there's six privileged rich white men in the group and two less privileged people 
who, um, for very good reason, do not feel psychologically safe in that group because of the behaviours and practices of, of that group itself. So, um, we, so there is stuff that we need to do in that group in order to make sure everyone feels safe and everyone feels included uh, because it's, it's no good just having some members feel safe. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm interested to explore behaviours that would appear to be indirect. Um, so I, I might come, that, come mm. back to that one because I think there might be a build on the next question about how do you know it's present or how do you know it's absent? Uh, yeah, good question. So, so some of the um, so there's a bit, there's a few ways of doing this. First of all, um, listen to what people are saying. So, uh, if people are saying things like "I have an idea," or "I've made a mistake," um, or "I'd like to challenge that," or, uh, or or they're saying things like "Yes and" instead of "Okay but" or something like that, then then. Or in fact, if they're saying like I made a really big mistake, and they're talking about their mistakes and surfacing them, and, and examining how how the systems of the group can be changed in order to mitigate or prevent those mistakes in the future, that's all that stuff indicates really high psychological safety. Um, there there are also a couple of sort of exercise and sort of workshop practices that you can do to measure psychological safety. One is quantitative and uses the survey tool that's based on Amy, Amy Edmondson's original work, uh, which is really powerful. But it is a sort of quantitative, um, uh, sort of, or maybe leans towards a sort of academic sort of sense of measuring psychological safety. Okay, and so it might be not be sustainable to be repeated. Yeah, yeah, and, okay. it, and it, has, it also has its own problems because in, in quantitatively measuring something you are affecting that thing yeah. like the, the, so so we have to be really careful um to, to to not inadvertently damage psychological safety or mask it if we're if we're trying to measure it with those sorts of survey tools let's not say that survey tools are bad but they just they just need they're very they're very a very sharp and powerful weapon that need to be called weapons may be a strong wrong word but um but yeah, they're a, they're a powerful tool that um, can be misused or misapplied. Yeah. Um, and so equally, we were talked about blame. Um, yeah. You know, when it's when it's absent or it's lowered, um, there's some of the sort of behaviours that you you observed. Um. So if it's so when when blame yeah so when blame is absent so actually the, the, there's a concept in um, that I've seen in tech and I think it comes from a different domain but I'm not sure where but there's a there's blameless and there's blame aware and arguably blameless is what we're striving for but is potentially a sort of because we're humans maybe a, an unobtainable goal because we we because we are humans we're we, we're innately sort of wired to try and blame things or people or or root causes for something. Um, if we ad if we adopt a blame aware approach, which which really sort of which is more about trying to be conscious of when we're when we're starting to blame someone, maybe ourselves. We include ourselves in that. We can it's sometimes easier to blame ourselves than it is to blame other people. But there's lots of practices, things like retrospectives debriefs, um, morbidity and mortality conferences, um, and, and, you know, or post or incident 
reviews and things like that. Different domains call them all different things. In fact, I'd be interested to hear what you think. What 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 sort of how this works in sporting in the sporting domain? But if those practices exist, and they exist, and they they're done well and they're done at a good cadence, they're carried out at a cadence. They're not. When I say cadence, I mean they should. The things that drive these sorts of behaviours shouldn't just be when something goes wrong. It, you know, it's just at the at the end of a phase of something, or at the end of a meeting, or at the end of a session, or at the end of a week, or at the end of a training session. Those sorts of embedded practices really are a are sort of really super powerful to build psychological safety and build performance, but they also require a degree of psychological safety to sort of be there in order to, to work at all, really. But yeah, I'm interested in the sporting world. You know, in we call them retrospectives in one domain and debriefs in another. Like, how do they work in this in the sporting world? Um, I think certainly it's, it's somewhat easier if there is an opposition that directly affects your outcome. So, for team-based sports, where or combat-based sports, where they 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 outwitted us on the field mm. of play, so. There's an element where actually it's it's easier to sort of recognise that you've got to trust the process and look at for those mini wins. You've got to be thinking about your uh, the, the the areas that you want to to develop. So it keeps that open mind when mm. it is a bit more objective, and you've got an outcome, a power output, or a time, and and you're responsible for how it goes. Then you know. That the outcome dominates quite a lot. Mm. Um, I think that the the biggest lesson that I've found over the years has been when when you don't debrief regularly and you you get this closing of a mind. So it's very and it's, I'm very sympathetic to this for for a champion's mind is that when they go from sort of junior level and they start getting some success. They start attributing what they've done to to that work, and you think, okay, no, but to get to a Commonwealth medal, it's a completely different process to becoming a world or Olympic champion, and so you need growth between world champion and Olympic champion. You need open-mindedness. You need review, but what a champion often does is start saying, well, that, that got me there, mm. and so that's a difficult conversation to sort of overcome when you've got a closing of someone's mind um, and, and the support team too, because they want to, to, to help um, with greater co confidence. You, the pressure starts to go up and so people start to revert to type. And so over time, high performance systems have, have evolved naturally to introduce that debriefing earlier in the process so counterintuitively, or ironically, however you want to put it, I mean, is that what you're trying to build is a closed-mindedness about including open-mindedness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're trying yeah. to instill that as that that's the habit that I will use coming out of a competition, regardless of win, lose, or draw. It, it's really annoying when you say we didn't, you know, we didn't do that bit. Ah, yeah, but we won a gold medal, and it diffuses the um, diffuses the inquiry. Yes. Um, so I think it is it is much more about recognizing and appreciating effort rather than necessarily the specific outcome. Um, there is a there is a little bit about um, assuming that someone's perhaps made a 
mistake rather than malice. Um, yeah. You know, the Hammond's razor yeah. approach. Um, when ultimately you are going to have to account for a result. Yeah, this this reminds me of because uh, I, I, and I love the point about success hiding failure, and I often I often sort of come back to this because um, success can be the uh, success can be created through all sorts of you can be you can just get lucky a lot, and um, and that can hide and it can it can prevent that that introspection into into failure. But at the same time, um, so there's, there's two concepts. Well, there's a couple of concepts called safety one and safety two. And I think these are really powerful to, to think about as well. Safety one being uh, inspection into what went wrong and trying to prevent the things that went wrong from happening again. So traditional health and safety and, and, um, and a lot of practices in aviation and stuff have, have adopted safety one. That went wrong. Let's put in a process or mechanism to prevent that happening again, and that does lead to, uh, well, fewer failures to a degree. It can also result in more brittle systems. But safety two is the converse of that, which is looking at successes. What what went right, and how do we make those things go right more often? And and they're two very interesting lenses to with which to look upon that. The, this sort of debriefing or, or retrospection or introspection um, and you know they're useful at different times like if there was an incident looking at what caused it but also looking at what went right in that incident what could have gone even worse um, and and I imagine and I wonder if the same thing sort of applies to sport and and those sort of particularly maybe with uh, individual sports where it is where you you maybe maybe I'm sure there are other factors, but you do pri only primarily have yourself to, 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 for want of a better word, blame. Yeah, well, I'm I'm bouncing from Netflix documentaries. So I just rewatched Last Dance, um, Michael Jordan and Chicago mm. Bulls, and, and maybe I'd come on to that because that's that's an issue I think a lot of teams work with in it that it's pressure. Uh, I'm. I've just started Drive to Survive, the sort of Formula One stories, and yeah. and whilst it's it's nicely edited and it all looks sort of very convenient, little mini stories, but you know you can't escape from the vision of a Lewis Hamilton watching back the race, apologising. Um, I, I should have taken responsibility there, or I mm -hmm. didn't prepare enough for that. Um, watching back those nuanced aspects of the race of of review so it's an immediate mm. aspect they're still in their suits uh, they're still at the venue um and that's instilled and yet i see such an absence in certainly in the corporate environment and and i think i think in underperforming teams yeah education where it is an immediacy to bounce from one client to the next or one class to the next what do you not sit down and how, ask how it went you know whether you got the bid or not no, yeah. just go get on the plane and we're off. Yeah. Um, would it be interesting to find out what your thoughts are about that opportunity? Well, I hadn't even thought about it. Um, for me, it's it is it's not just about that sense of creating a culture. There's performance to be had there in that approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I really like your point about the immediacy of it as well. I, I you know, one. There are lots of dysfunctions of teams and organizations. One of those dysfunctions being 
never doing any sort of retrospective or debriefing or, or self-examination. Um, another dysfunction is doing it, but but delaying it so much that, you know, so say you had a project that completed, you know, in March and and no, only now in April you're you're doing the, the retrospective. Well, most of your learnings from that will have will have disappeared into the ether. So uh, and you may well remember stuff wrongly or inaccurately anyway. So so it does this 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 work needs to be put in right now. Like um yeah, like you said, Lewis Hamilton that still in his suit looking at what happened. That's the that's the best time to learn. Um but it's also the time when people are less inclined to sort of think, right, let's put let's put in some more effort now. Yeah. Yeah. Well I mean then maybe that's a good uh, segue into that sort of concept of the burning platform. This mm. is another common uh, bit of feedback I hear, you know, in which if, if I reflect on my time in Lee Sport, uh, whilst I was certain environments, I was fearful of making mistakes. Mm. Um, I wasn't able to take risks, but I was at my most focused. Um, the quality of my work was very high, mm. and if I if I think about aspects of that performance, probably some of my natural preferences. Um, not to work in a certain way, not to f not to tidy that bit up or not to finish that bit. They were eradicated because I was going to do my work really well because I had a level of fear that I was going to let somebody down or actually I would have got roasted by that Olympic champion if I didn't step mm. up or if I, was, if I wasn't actually delivering. So mm. a, a large part of my, my work was sort of was dominated by I, I, I don't want to mess up I don't want to put a foot wrong um, so what's what's your thinking about this concept of of where pressure and or or the burning platform actually drives performance and how psychological safety can complement or actually work with that so I, I love this I, I love this and it reminds me of um, so Fear isn't necessarily a bad thing. Fear isn't a bad emotion. Like fear gets us, like you're just saying, fear helps us achieve incredible things. Um, fear of various things. I, I was once asked by uh, by a CEO, um, uh, can a team? Well, in fact, I've been asked this a number of times. Can a team be too safe? Or and 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 this CEO in particular thought that their team was too safe. And now. Too, or too psychologically safe, and 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 I'm I'm a I'm I really strongly believe that there is no such thing as being too psychologically safe, and the the example I use is of um, uh, Nims Die, the the Sherpa mountaineer, and his team, um, and and they're an incredible team. They've they've achieved incredible feats of mountaineering. They summited K two in the winter. And K2 kills something like, like something like a third of the people that reach its summit. And in winter, it's even more dangerous than that. So they were ascending K2 in the winter, and there's, you know, six or seven of them. And statistically, maybe half of them, statistically, maybe half of them sh should have died on that mountain. And half of them could have expected to die on that mountain. So... They, they, they must have possessed a real existential fear, like a, an avalanche or, or a storm rolling in or, or a rockfall or some, some mistake or something going wrong could have killed them, maybe killed them all. 
but but they in in their group they feel so incredibly psychologically safe because they are able to say to each other yeah um i think we should try this i think we should try that route uh, maybe we should do this i'd like to or, or challenge each other's ideas or and raise concerns you know i've i've I, i'm not feeling well i've got a bit of a headache let's slow down because um and that's the way to success because if you're able to do that you know if, if you work what the converse if you if if someone has a, you know if someone doesn't raise that they've got a headache maybe they're getting an edema uh you know half an hour later they're dying the rest of the team are at risk because they've got to get a dying person down down the mountain um so that psychological safety is the is the vehicle for that huge success of getting to summit and getting back down um more importantly getting back down but it's the fear that existential fear uh that you know without the existential fear they'd be making mistakes they'd be taking making careless errors and stuff but it's also that fear of not succeeding that drives them to achieve it in the first place and for for most of us we're not climbing k2 we're doing other things but maybe it's the fear of of not providing for our family or the fear of not having a successful career or the fear of uh, of not being able to save enough for, for retirement those are the sorts of or, or whatever those fears are because the fear is just the sort of opposite of a, of a desire right so um whatever those fears are they're the things that drive us but it's psychological safety that is a is a vehicle within the team to help us achieve it hmm. interesting uh, and uh, it's it's got me thinking just about the different the different mountains we might be climbing or the different roles we might be playing at different <clears throat> times that that and structures in organisations. So um, some people will feel safe in their team of peers. Yeah. We're all right in this team. Yeah. But culturally, I'd feel unsafe. So, you know, thank you, boss. In our team, I feel fine. And you're protecting me. But but I, I don't, I'm not going to put a foot out of line because up above, mm. it's creating this this sense of, of calcification or uh, inertia or equally I've, I've encountered situations where actually the leader of the team feels unsafe because he's expecting snipers uh, or you know the corridor gorillas of we thought we had agreed something so I'm just I'm curious to to get your thoughts about how do you stratify this and think about psychological safety and guide people to be contextually sensitive yeah, 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 and, and and you make a great point because most organisations, no, all organisations yeah, oh, will yeah. have, yeah, <laughs> all organisations, <laughs> they they all have different degrees of psychological safety in different pockets and different parts of the business. You've got you'll have one team over here that are super psychologically safe within their team within their bubble, and maybe they've got a manager who's you know being very protective and, sh and shielding them. Maybe the rest of the organization on average is not particularly psychologically safe. Maybe there's a team over here with very low psychological safety, proper screamy finger pointy boss over here. But equally, um, it's, it is very contextual. You know, um, people, you know, a, series of, a, a bunch of managers together sitting in a, in a room, you know, at a, if they're in the same level of the organization, they regularly work together with their peers, they're going to feel psychologically safe. Suddenly the CFO walks into the room none of them feel psychologically safe at all. They're, they certainly don't feel safe to admit their mistakes in front of the CFO. 
who's you know who has and it's because the the that person has or uh, can their presence can result in much higher consequences for interpersonal consequences for those sorts of behaviors and activities um where you've got it between teams sort of sort of if so one of the things I talk about managers with is is that is this psychological safety gradient that is one of the stresses, one of the challenges of a manager, um, and it's managing your own team where you're trying to create foster an environment of psychological safety. But outside of that team, you're dealing with environments of lower psychological safety, and managing that gradient, so being that membrane between these two environments, is is a stressful. Um, place to be it's a hard it's, it's, it's a difficult and 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 um uh, it, it's a hard work place to be so when we're talking about sort of organizational change we th there are various strategies we can we can try and employ for from um things like creating communities of psychological safety so that so that good practices things like retrospectives and debriefs and other good Good practice team charters and things can be created across different teams. So we're creating this sort of cross-functional, cross-domain community within an organization that kind of tries to level out and, and draw everyone up like a rising tide in an organization. But it also needs to be driven from the top. And I I, I often don't like using the word top in terms of people, yeah, but yeah, no, you mean they're the boss, you know, or the boss yeah, of yeah. the top team. Yeah, yeah. And they um Sometimes I like to call them the people at the back, um, because they're the, you know the, the, that's where they really are. But uh, but they but they, they need to engage and be driving these sorts of practices and behaviours as well. Because ultimately, if they're not, you're still just going to end up with an organisation where you've got pockets of safety, and people trying to protect those pockets. Mm. And that's really hard work. It's a really yeah, yeah, tough I'd agree. I'd agree in the sense that it's it's possible. But mm. it takes a movement uh, and upward pressure. Mm. So, what would be your? This I don't. And this is, I know this is extremely complex, and it would be circumstantial and contextual. But what would be your? I've got the sort of top tips if people are starting to think about this area, whether they're in a team, they've still got contributions to be made to start mm. somewhere. Mm. Equally, for a leader, where do they start with this? So yeah, and so that's a really good point because there are there are slightly different things you can do as a member of a team or as a leader of a team, but there's there's certainly commonalities um, between them. What, one of the first things to do is, I quite like the phrase, um, if you want to build psychological safety, pretend it already exists. And if you're in a position of authority or privilege, such as a leader, then that's much easier to do. It's 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 still possible to do as a member of a team. But that involves doing things like admitting your mistakes. So admitting your mistakes is a super powerful way to begin to foster that environment. Because what we want is for everyone else to admit their mistakes. So if you've, say you've been on the team a long time, or, um, or you know, you're an old hat at this, and particularly say, so in a sporting context, say if you've, if you've got a few medals under your, you know, in your career, and, and um, so for Lewis Hamilton, for Lewis Hamilton to walk into a room of other, of more junior drivers, and say, I, I messed up bad in that race. And this is how I messed up bad in that race. And this race is so bad, it's known as the Lewis Hamilton messed up race. And to create an environment where it's, it's safe and in, encouraged and almost fun 
to surface mistakes and talk about them and, and stuff. That's super powerful. That's amazing. So admitting and talking about your own mistakes, really powerful thing to do. So that requires a bit of vulnerability. Yes. You could potentially trade on that. If you're a leader, then you, you might have a little bit more capacity to to give that rather than perhaps within the group. Also requires encouraging feedback as in yeah. give me some give me some feedback you know tell yeah. me how i got on yeah it's a role model in that sense completely completely and in fact on that feedback so there's um one of the things i suggest or one of the, one of the things i do with teams and, and suggest they do is, is is team charters um and a team charter looks different for every team but it's a really powerful way of of creating cohesion in a team about what that team does what are the common goals in the team? What are the common values? What are our what are our common behaviours? What are our rituals and ceremonies? What do we do on a regular basis that we enjoy doing? Um, uh, how, what other teams do we interact with? How do we interact with them? What do we provide to other teams, and what do we take from other teams? What's our role within a business? All of these things you can and there's some great team charter canvases out there that you can do user templates, but you can you can basically create your own. And doing that is a super, super powerful way to not only increase team performance, because you're getting better alignment on what you're actually trying to achieve and how you're going to achieve it, but it creates psychological safety in the team because people, because a, a great deal of psychological safety is, is fostered through predictability and understanding and knowing intrinsically what it means to be on the team. And if I, if I do this, other people on the team will, will respond like that. Like being able to predict within within a certain realm what that's going to be, what they how they're going to behave and, and react, and so by actually putting that down on paper, and saying and for example, this is my feedback letter there. One of those things you might put in the team team charter, is that we have a, a a a a a precept, a concept, a a a, a behavior that is always to ask for feedback and always provide feedback, um, or or it might be we always ask if you want feedback. And and offer it if, if requested, and so, so that cohesion that, and this is a living document. Like it's not a, you don't create a team charter and then just put it in a cupboard and forget about it. It lives, and you revisit it, and it evolves because you're not going to get it perfectly right first time. And the team evolves, so it, it needs to evolve with the team. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's um, that's something that probably a leader would introduce. We're going to do some team charter work. We're going to do team norms. We're going to do yeah. team values. Probably not necessarily something that a, a team member can can volunteer. I think we're going to do a team charter today, boss. Yeah, and that's going to go down pr pretty badly, or it will undermine them maybe. Mm. But I'm just wondering whether there's any simple little actions that a team member can can demonstrate in that team meeting in response to the to the cut and thrust and daytime discussions that that you'd you'd actually say, yeah, there's something you can really do that makes people look around and think, ah, oh, that's a different type of question. That's, that's helpful for me because I now feel a little bit more okay to, to um, act in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the other things that, and, and this is something that everyone can do, which is, is just, a little, just a little reframing, just a little reframing around work and how we do things. Um, and, and I call it everything as an experiment. Uh, or treating everything as an experiment. You might call it treating work as a learning problem rather than an execution problem. The outcome of, the, 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 the point of this is the outcome of the thing you're doing is not the 
the product or the or the or, or you know the thing you've built it's the learning and and learning how to do it better next time or learning how to apply those lessons to the next thing you do and so so instead of so and, and you can start to doing this by just using the word experiment instead of uh task or something like that like i'm gonna i'm gonna carry out this experiment and i expect the result to be this um instead of well i'm gonna do this which means we'll, we'll achieve that because you, none of us really know the outcome of our intended actions like we don't we can't predict the future so we're all conducting experiments all the time anyway so let's just call them what they are and that takes it takes a lot of the risk off the table because we're we're kind of explicitly saying everything is is an experiment everything is a risk nothing might work out the way we expect it to but let's try it anyway and so just those little tiny changes in language can can really go a long way to um, making it safer in the team to to try things and admit mistakes and build that sort of expectation. Scientist in me loves that, but it also encourages curiosity and, and mm. the, and the sh consultative approach of, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how this is going to go. Um, mm. I'm, I'm setting up my methods, but I don't know the results yet. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and to a degree, it makes it more fun as well. It makes it more, in a, yeah, a, a lot of psychological safety is about having, well, enjoying work and enjoying what you do and having fun at work. And, uh, and it's a lot more enjoyable to be running lots of experiments rather than tasks that might fail or succeed. Oh, it's such an interesting, um, important area. And, and I think that the, just the wave of uncertainty and change and dynamics um, it's not going to go away. And, and this concept as an idea keeps us so adaptable and responsive to the, the demands that we're experiencing in the moment, uh, as opposed to we don't know how the next few years are going to roll out, so we can't be so um, commander control about yeah. how we're going forward. Yeah. Um, can I ask you a couple sort of wrap-up questions? Just yeah, to, go for uh, it. Is that all right? Um, what, what, um, what are you hoping is the legacy from your work? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, in, and in fact, so I've been, I've been kind of working on this and I'm not even that sure, but it's, but I would love it if, what I really want is for the world of work to become a, a more, a, a more psych psychologically safe and inclusive place to be. And that's, you know that would be a great achievement it would also mean just like you were saying that we as a world as as nations as organizations as businesses are more able to adapt and respond to the challenges and changes that we see in the world the changes you know and the challenges that we we the, the the things that actually break us or the things that actually damage us or or harm us are the things we don't see coming at all you know, we've just had a pandemic. We didn't really see that coming. The next thing that the next big challenge probably won't be a pandemic. It'll be something else. So, so the best thing that we can do is try to become as adaptable and as resilient, like you're saying right at the start, as we can be, and and creating, fostering psychological safety and inclusion is going to help us achieve that. It's going to help us be more resilient. Love that. What, so um, next one then, who, who's helped and support and 
helped, who's helped support and champion you? Oh, oh, fantastic question. So um, I would have to give Amy Edmondson a shout out for, first of all, introducing me to the term psychological safety. Um, her book, The Fearless Organization, um, is absolutely fantastic and really worth a read. Uh, and, um, and yeah, and everything that Amy Edmondson does is, is, is fantastic, straightforward in, in psychological safety. I would also like to give a shout out to everyone who is involved in the psych safety community. Um, we have a we have a sort of online community and a meetup, um, and Stephanie and Romy are, are excellent facilitators who have, who have helped run the, the last meetup uh, and the, and the, any uh, and the, and the next meetups we have. Um, but yeah, everyone on that community are, are super helpful and really amazing people, and 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 really I yeah, I couldn't be doing this this work without them. Absolutely superb. Amazing, amazing. And and I'm curious to know what conditions also allow you to do your best work too oh that's a good question so i yeah so i so, so i i work in a number of teams really and 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 i i do almost like a almost a bit a bit, a bit like my golden hammer is psychological safety the you know the the I, and i have to almost refrain from saying you know from or from looking at everything well this is a psychological safety problem <laughs> um, what time is it tom that you feel safe to ask <laughs> exactly exactly i i i have to remind myself that there are sometimes other challenges to resolve um but for me for me uh, alongside psychological safety we need to have clarity of vision clarity of our mission uh clarity about what is expected of us what we are trying to achieve what we are supposed to be not be doing like what what we're not what is outside of our scope and what is inside of our scope um if we can i'm a strong believer that if we can in teams define really accurately what we're trying to do what our mission is what we're what is it within our our scope of action and what's outside of our scope if we possess psychological safety and the expertise and capability to actually do the thing, we can achieve anything. Brilliant. Love it. Fantastic. Look, um, so enjoyed the conversation and so thankful for you taking a leap of faith of, of chatting to, to me about this. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, brilliant. Where, where can people find more from you? Uh, so the first place to head is uh, is psychsafety.co.uk the website psychsafety.co.uk and there uh, I've basically I created that a couple of years ago with uh, just out of all the stuff that I'd already created around psychological safety and thought I should put this all in one place really and and then it kind of evolved uh, so there's now a newsletter a weekly email newsletter so you can people can sign up to that and um, receive all sorts of stuff every week about psychological safety and humanistic leadership and and very much related concepts um from again from psychsafety.co.uk you can access this the, the online community so you can join there and, and and meet up with everyone um and on the subject of meetups we also we're starting to do a uh, a meetup an online meetup every couple of months um we've just had nora jones the ceo of jelly.io speak at the last one and we've got some great speakers coming up so there's tons of tons of stuff people can get in, get involved in newsletter community meetup resources online um, and uh, you can reach me 
at tom at psychsafety.co.uk. I'm always up for a chat. Um, and you can find me online at tom underscore Geraghty on Twitter and the other socials and things. Fantastic. All right. Well, we'll put those in the show notes so um, so people can access those in a, in a clip. Um, Thank you so much, yeah. Tom. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. This has been this has been a really, really fun podcast to be part of. And I, I, I really appreciate the, uh, the invite. Really Thank great. You. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I really hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. And we've got plenty more to come. So if you'd like to support and champion us, then take the time to subscribe and leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you tune in. You can also give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All the links are in the show notes. So in the meantime, have a great week. Mm-hmm.